One, two, one, two. One, two. We can record it. Awesome. Shall we? One of the things that God's been really putting on my heart, I feel a bit of a Holy Spirit prompt for my life, for church I lead, for, for church in general, is, is this whole, let's never lose the fear of the Lord. You know, there's all ups and downs in church life. I know you've had your fair share of ups and downs recently. Every church does. But in the ups and downs of it all, in the working through how we're going to run the systems, the culture and all the rest of it, this is God's house. And we're God's people. And let's never forget what we're doing and why we're doing it and who we're representing. And I think if you always come back to there, we can't go too far wrong. So should we start this evening where we're going to wrestle through some church life, just reverencing God a little bit. Father, just thank you that we get the opportunity to hang out tonight. Thank you for the privilege of being your church in this time. Lord, we just want to cry out for our friends, our work colleagues, our family, the people in this area, Lord God, that don't yet know you. And Lord, we call them into relationship with you. Lord, let us represent you better. Let us love better. Let us be more generous. Let us be kinder. Let us be men and women of faith. And Lord, thank you that we get to call ourselves the church. Help us to bring heaven to earth. Lord, we want to see the miraculous. We want to see blind eyes opened. But we want to see everyone taking a step towards you. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Um, so I chatted to Mike and he said, as we're, as we're down and we've traveled 15 years to get here in the car, uh, it'd be cool just as, as we're here, let's, let's do a session. So I'm so chuffed that you've come out. One thing I know I don't need to do tonight is to convince you of Jesus because you're in church on a Saturday night. That's all good. And, um, but isn't it good to wrestle through church? Because there's no right or wrong way to do church. Uh, what works for one church doesn't work for another. The wrestle is what God called us to be. And the, re the wrestle is what's, 
the, God put on the leader's heart, and can we get behind that, and therefore are we in the right church? The, the wrestle is, am I called here, and so therefore am I prepared to step up? And so I, I chatted with Mike and, and said, you know, what, what's the situation? He said, maybe we could talk tonight about the church as a family. And there's lots of different ways of looking at church. Some people would say, you know, the church is a hospital. It's a place where the sick come to get healed. And that's true, but it's part of the picture. And some would say, well, it's like an army barracks because, we, you know, we're advancing the kingdom or we use weapons of warfare and we're about taking ground. And that's true, but it's part of the picture. But if you can look at church through the concept and thought process of a family, I think you can build a very rounded picture but we don't want it to be a concept. We want it to be who we are. We don't want to just know about it. We want to live it. Uh, and that's easier said than done. And I think it takes times like this to get a bit reflective. And I haven't come to give you all the answers. I've come to stir up questions. Uh, and in doing that together is a fair representation of a cross-section of the church, this church here. Could we be better at being family in representing Jesus? Because everyone wants to belong to something. And wouldn't it be good if they wanted to belong to the family of God? But if we're not good at being the family of God, they don't want to belong to that. So you can see the concept. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Because church was always God's idea. Because church is a funny old thing, if we're honest, don't we? You know, when I look around at our church, we've got amazing people, great big cross-section of people. But probably if it wasn't the church, they wouldn't be my mates. They're not the kind of people I'd be drawn to, quite frankly. I'm probably looking around this room and thinking, what a bunch of weirdos we are. <laughs> But you know what? When you put Jesus in the middle of something, it just somehow it works, doesn't it? But if we're committed to working together. And um, I've been wrestling recently with this whole concept of, do you need to go to church to be a Christian? Everyone's probably had that thrown at them sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah I believe it. I don't like the church. not into church, but I'm a Christian. Well, I wrestle with that. I believe you can be saved because the Word says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. That's got nothing to do with going to church then, isn't it? That's, that's, the, that's the Bible. But here's the thing. The word Christian means Christ-like. That's what it means. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it. Jesus' words, not mine. So if we are going to be like Christ, Christ wants to build the church. Therefore, if I'm going to be a Christian, church should be important to me. So I can be saved and not into the church, but to call myself a Christian, I think I need to be in church. In fact, I definitely, I know you need to be in church because it was God's idea. Can you see? And here's why it's such a wrestle in church. Because when the church is moving forward, when the church is growing, when the church is representing heaven like it's supposed to, hell can't compete. So isn't it not surprising that church is such a struggle sometimes? Because there's so much coming against us. Because if we nail this thing, hell cannot stand against it. Jesus' words. And so that's why church, we want to wrestle this stuff. There's not a perfect church on the planet. It doesn't exist because there's people in it. The moment you, you go to a church and think, oh, this is a great church, well, you're in it now. You know, we all bring our stuff, don't we? And so the concept here is we're not trying to be perfect, but we're trying to pull together in unity Psalm 133, where there is unity, I command the blessing. We're trying to have unity to be the best version of ourselves within our context. And God blesses that. And hell can't stand against it. So the biggest answer for this community here is if this church becomes the family. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? And that's why it's so, so important. 
Um, you know, I feel like pe- people on the whole treat church as a thing, an object, rather than a group of people. Do you see? It's really easy to leave a thing. It's really hard to leave a family. It's really easy to criticize a thing. Really hard to criticize the people you do life with. Can you see how it just shifts? When you start looking at church through the eyes of a family, everything changes. And yet, biblically speaking, there's so much family language. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. Family. We're the bride of Christ. Family. Do you see, God, Jesus said, I long to gather you because he loves us to get together in the family context. So I believe looking at church through the eyes of family is the healthiest way because a family is a place of healing. A family is a place of taking ground. It's, it's all of those things together, but there's these wrestles of how we do it and how we work it out. And you have those wrestles in your home because you're a family. It exists everywhere. So if you look at your church and think, oh, it's so flipping hard, sometimes we need to celebrate that because the devil doesn't want you to win. And if you're worth attacking, there's got to be something good going on here. So the idea is... We've not got it right. We're under attack. Stuff's going on. People are getting upset. The finances aren't great. We're trying to do some stuff. And it's a big wrestle. It's a bit of a mess. Well, do you know what? That's family. But what we do is we pull together and say, come on, prayerfully, God, we need an answer to this. And we're going to go in that direction and we're going to go together. You know, actually, we feel like we've got that wrong. We stuffed it up. It's okay. We will pull back together. But, but families stay together. Can you see? Hell can't stand against that. It's amazing what great things God does, even when we make the wrong choice, if we do it together. Because it's a family. Do you see? Uh, When I look at our family and our church, we were just talking earlier that we planted our church with eight people in our front room. And those eight people was my family. My parents, Sarah and I, my brothers and their wives. So we literally planted out of a family. And um, what's been awesome is, you know, as the church has grown and doing really, really well now, there's still that family feel because it was founded on a family. Our wrestle has been to give it away and not let it be about the Roberts family. It's got to be way bigger than that. That's been one of our personal wrestles in our situation. But when people walk into our place, they go, oh, I feel really accepted here. I feel really included. It, it feels like a family. We're like, yes, because that's a win right there. But when I look back at my childhood, many of you will know that I, I played football and uh, as I was growing up, you know, in my teens, maybe when I was 12, 13, my dad would always come and take me everywhere and stand on the sidelines and be all proud as I did well. But there was this one particular game where we were playing against this... They were like a team of men, and, you know, we were like 12. We walked out there, and they're huge, great big giants. We had all the skills, you know, we, we were unbeaten, and, and we were beating this team. And when they were losing, they just started getting horrible, and they were booting us. So it was almost like playing rugby. It was, like they were booting us all over the park. And my dad at the side was just getting all protective of his boy. And um, I got kicked and I'd get up and do a skill and go past and get kicked again. And the referee just wasn't doing much about it. And in the end, my dad ran on the pitch. Went up to the referee, you've got to protect him. We can all see it. What you? My dad got sent off. My dad, his proudest moment was he got sent off defending his son. <laughs> but that's what dads do. I'm his boy. We're family. Don't touch my son. You know, and, and, and it was so funny. Uh, Josh, who will be drumming tomorrow at church, he's, he's 15 now and probably could beat most of us up, actually. He studies jiu-jitsu. Um, you've had Shane Willard here, haven't you? Yeah. And um, 
big, what's he, six foot three, big tall guy. He, he was a black belt in Taekwondo. And I was telling him about Josh studying jiu-jitsu, and you know, Josh is considerably smaller. And as he walked into our church, Josh was on the stage chatting to some of the worship guys facing the other way. And Shane went up behind him unannounced and grabbed him around the neck. And within a split second, Josh had bashed him in the ribs, turned him around and got him on the... And they were rolling around on the floor and Josh was winning. <laughs> and he was like, oh, fair play. It's quite good. It's quite good. It's quite good. <laughs> but when Josh was in year four, so what that be, nine, he got bullied at school. It was, it was quite tough for us because it's like, what do you do? You don't want to be the overprotective parents and step in. But by the same token, he came home and, you know, he wasn't tearful, but it was just not nice. And there was this one particular lad and we hated him. <laughs> and uh, he was always picking on Josh and he was the one that it was, a, it was all this, no substance, but he just gathered all the other lads around him. So it was about eight lads against Josh all the time. It was really unpleasant. And it, got, it hit its peak and Josh was going to school really not looking forward to it. And Sarah was dropping, dropping Josh off. And as she walked out, this group of lads were all sitting there all having a little chat. And as Sarah walked past, being Josh's mum, she heard them mention Josh's name. And she went up to him, she went, they're, they're nine. She went up to him and went, you got a problem? <laughs> <laughs> it was the best thing ever. It's just like, we, we think we're quite nice people, but do not touch our kids. But right there, right there, <laughs> right Right there is what families do. And the trouble is when we treat church as a thing and not as a family, people can talk your church down. But when it's your family and people talk your church down, have you got a problem? That's my brother. That's my sister. That's the person God's called me to have the greatest impact I'm ever going to have on the planet with that person. You know, at the end of your life, when you look back, it's not going to be about what job you had. It's not going to be about how much money you had. It's not going to be about how many holidays you had or how many bottles of wine you drank or what car you drove. That's going to count for Zippo. What's going to count for is what did you do for the kingdom of God? And you're going to do that with this group of people. So if people are talking these people down, you should care because that's my family. And when you look at it like that, and I know you've been through some very difficult stuff recently with Lewis and Jordan and others leaving, it's difficult. Let's not pretend. But I believe you're in a situation right now where you're in the strongest place you've ever been. But to get stronger, you need to understand this concept of family. That actually we are pulling together because God's got a great mandate on our life. And that hell does not want us to win. So if it gets like this, but you know what you can do best is back off. Don't talk about my family like that. You know, when it goes wrong, we pull together. We don't point the finger at each other. Oh, your fault. You didn't do this. No, we're a family. Can you see what I'm trying to say? Easy for me to talk about, but you have to walk it out as a family. Difficult to do. But you can do that. One of the things that we have in, in my leadership team is that we can disagree in a front room debating next steps or how we're going to spend money or vision or things, we can disagree and fall out. Publicly, we are one. We stand together. No one needs to see all the stuff. Who knows that mum and dad often fall out? Stop pretending, people. But when you're in front of the kids and when you're out in public, you're one. Of course you disagree. Everyone does. There's not a family on the planet that doesn't. But in public, we're one. 
privately, we wrestle it through. We don't fall out, we don't separate, we keep the conversation going until we come to a place of unity. We fight for unity, because unity is where the blessing's at. But publicly, we're one. And so when you're out and about and people are talking church, you want to be proud of this group of people, and you want to stick together, and you don't want them talked down. Easy to say, difficult to do. You know, each of you will have your wrestles in life, but we pull together. I don't know if you're familiar with Elijah's story, but he was living in a time when, um, I just noticed there's a drip going on my coat. Um, he, was, he was living in the time when Jezebel was the queen, Ahab was the king, and uh, they were awful. And they were putting fear into people, and God's people were pulling back from their relationship with God. And it was a difficult, difficult time. And, and God said to Elijah, I want you to go and tell the king and the queen, the most powerful people on the planet at the time, it's not going to rain until I say so. Well, that was economic suicide. So that was a huge thing to have to go and say to the most powerful people on the planet who were living by, fi- by putting fear into people. Elijah does this, and then God calls him on this journey, and he first takes him to this place called Kerith. And Kerith means cut off or isolation. And so what God did in this moment is he, he, he instigated this mission with Elijah, and then he pulled him away and said, I want to get to know you, me and you together. And every day he fed him by the ravens. How, how big's your faith getting when you're sitting there and every day the ravens turn up with some meat? Happy days. Everywhere else is in drought, but you've got your own ravine. It's the Kerith Ravine. And so, so his faith's getting bigger and bigger. He's got no, 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 his attention isn't anywhere else but him and God, him and God, him and God. His personal faith gets deep. Then the time comes and God says to him, I want you to go to Zarephath. Where he was in Zarephath, he was called to live in a family with a, a widow and her son. You probably know the story. He goes there and says, oh, you're making a cake. Can I have the first bit of the cake? She said, you can't have my cake. It's my last ever cake. We've got nothing left because of the drought. We're about to die. This is my last cake. Cheeky Elijah says, I still want a bit of your cake. And she says, okay, I'll, I'll make you some, some cake. And God calls him to live in the family. Do you know what the word Zarephath means? smelting pot who knows that the family is the smelting pot of life it's flipping hard he goes there and it's tough he's been on his own he's been fed by the ravens he's got this great commission on his life he's challenged the queen and now he's been called to live with the family Ah! (laughs) but he goes on this journey but do you know what happens the son dies but in the family god does amazing things and elijah raises the son Everyone else is struggling for food, but the source of food never runs out. Why? Because when you fight for family, it's a place of health and life and resurrection. It's a place of provision. It's a place where we do it together. Again, we need to fight for family. He then goes on to Carmel. I'm getting off topic now. He goes on to Carmel, which is, which is called fresh. That's what it means, Carmel. And it's this idea of it's a new beginning. And the whole point of Carmel is that he went there to challenge the people. You've got to stop wavering between two opinions. Either you're with me or you're not with me. Let's have a fresh beginning. And that was his whole journey. But the point I wanted to make there was this whole idea of family being the smelting pot, which is also true for us. So if we're going to look at church as a family, and there's been lots of nodding in agreement here, we need to decide then, is it a hotel or a home? Who likes a hotel? love a hotel. 
staying in a hotel tonight. So, so good. You know, in a hotel, you go to sleep, you get up in the morning, you don't make your bed, you go and have a breakfast. And the breakfast is cooked for you, prepared for you. When you finished it, you don't clear it up, you just go back to your room. And when you go back to your room, the bed's been made, it's all fresh again. Hotels are epic. But who knows, someone did that. Someone did that. I didn't do it, it's a hotel. But someone did that. The reality is, the difference in a home is the family have to do that. If I invite you to our home and we have lots of guests in our home, do you know what we'll do? We'll go out and we'll buy the food. We'll prepare the food and cook the food and put it on the plate. When you come into our house, we'll give you a good greeting. Our toilets will be clean because we've cleaned them because you're coming round. And so you can use our clean toilets. You can eat our food that we paid for and cooked and prepared. At the end of the meal, we'll make you a cup of coffee because we like you. We paid for the coffee too. We boiled the kettle. We're paying for the electricity. At the end of the night, we'll give you a hug and say, see you at church in the morning. And when you go, do you know what we do? We wash it up. And then we go to bed. Do you know why? Because our home isn't a hotel, it's a home. And the family do all that. Even Josh and Evie have got their job. Josh's role is dishwasher. Josh's dishwasher man. That's his job. Evie's role is polisher. Give her the polish. She loves a bit of polishing, sprays it all around, does it all nice. Not a speck of dust in our front room because it's Evie's job. Everyone has got a role because we're in a home and the family looks after the home. Can you see the picture I'm trying to build here? If you're looking at church as a family, is this a hotel or a home? And if this is your home and you're the family, the expectation is you contribute. And so we're talking culture here. There will be guests, and we hope we have lots of guests. And when the guests come in, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to drink your coffee that you have paid for and you have made. And at the end of the service, when they go home, you're going to wash it up. They're going to go into your auditorium with the electricity that you have paid for and eat a meal, which we call the sermon, which he has bothered to prepare for once. <laughs> hey, yeah. Which he has bothered to prepare. They're going to enter a worship environment, which you've practiced for. And you've done. This is the family. The family puts the meal on and it's an expectation that we contribute and so if we're looking at culture if anyone calls this home there should be a fair expectation there's some kind of contribution because we're family you can be a guest as long as you want to be a guest but don't pretend you're family unless you're contributing because Josh and Evie are my kids but they contribute because there's an expectation that they contribute Sometimes even Sarah contributes. <laughs> Not that often. <laughs> but there's like, you know, any of you are in leadership positions or any of you are contributing anywhere, there is stuff to do. There are children to look after. There are toilets to clean. There is coffee to serve. 
You know, there's sound and media to run. There is, there is a worship team. There's, there's children to look after. There's a creche. There's cleaning. There are a million and one things to do in church life. There are outreach projects and mission. There are people in the accounts. There is loads and loads of stuff going on in church life. Someone has to do it. And as we're family, we say, I want to contribute. Where I feel like I'm leading my church is that for people who don't yet fully understand what their call and gift is, I'm looking for a heart that says, Barry, this church is my home. Where can you use me? And it's not about I'm good at this or I'm good at that. It's where can you use me best right now? Where's the need? I'll meet that. And as I'm meeting that, we can wrestle where can we use you best going forward. But there's a heart to do whatever it takes. And I love that in a family. You know, I know all jokes aside with Sarah. Sarah will do whatever it takes to make our house run. She works 16 jobs. She cleans. <laughs> but, my, but my hope is, you know, you're out at church on a Saturday night. You care because you're in the room. My hope is that you could say, Lord, search my heart because I revere you. That's where we started tonight. This is your house. And it's my home. And you know what? It should be a place of, I'll do whatever it takes, God, because if the best thing I can do in this area is to create a great church so someone might meet you, I'll do whatever it takes. You know, I'll clean the floor. I'll come in. Five o'clock on Sunday morning, if you want me in five o'clock, I'm, push, I'm pushing it now. And I, yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I, I, I don't know how you feel about Hillsong. I love Hillsong. They do amazing things. Massive. Probably the biggest church in the world right now, if you, if you calculate all their numbers across the world. I know in London, their setup is 5 a.m. But you know what? Their attitude is, I'll do what it takes. And those people have full-time jobs. They probably have families. But they get up and do it because they love the house. For us, I don't know where you're at. For us, that's not where we're at yet. We have strongly committed people. But what an example. I will just do what it takes. I'll be there. I don't care what you want me to do. I'll just say yes. I know this. If you had 50 people in your church who would go to Mike and say, whatever you say, ask me to do, I'm going to say yes. He'll be like, hallelujah. Yeah, or any other team leader. But can you see the point I'm making? This is what a family looks like in the outworking of it. And it's culture. I like the definition of culture. Is culture is what you do when you don't think about it. Culture is what you do when no one's looking. I know there's a culture in our church and tomorrow's service will look like it always looks, even though we're not there. Because it's what we do. It'll be a great service. I know how it will run, because this is our culture. This is what we do. They're not standing and thinking, oh, Barry's away. We'll do our own thing. <laughs> do you know? It's culture. But culture, one of the great cultures should be, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes. I will say, yes, this is my home. I am family. We're going to contribute. Do you hear what I'm saying? Can I just touch very quickly on paying for it? Because this costs. Church, running a church costs money. And do you know what? In church life, we don't like to talk about money because it's a bit awkward, isn't it? A bit awkward talking about money. Do you know that Jesus talked about money? Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. And yet in church, we don't talk about money. So I don't know if we're reflecting Jesus very well. Who knows that money affects every person on the planet? Every single one of you have got money stuff going on in your life. All of you. But so is the church. And this is our home, and this is our family. Now, I don't know where you stand on the tithe, but I believe I know where God stands on the tithe. 
And I, I want to just throw it out there tonight because you're in church on a Saturday night and we can talk real. And I hope you'll go on a journey. Um, the, when God set out the tithe, let's start in Eden. You know, we know Adam and Eve, we know the story, don't we? God said there's one tree, just one tree. You can have all the other trees. My understanding is Eden was about the size of Great Britain. It's a big place. One tree. Just one tree. Don't eat off one tree size of Great Britain. One tree. Do you know why he said one tree? Because he's love. And he said, this will show me that you love me. I'm not going to force it on you. Because love isn't love if it's forcing it on you. God's not a dictator. He gives us free will. And he said, oh, there's going to be one tree. And if you will leave that tree through your own choice, that will show me that you love me. It's my portion because I'm the king. It's the king's portion. Who in this room believes you'd have eaten from that tree? Oh, look at us all. Oh, oh definitely it wouldn't have been me. I wouldn't have touched that tree. But it was God's portion. You can hear the language, can't you? It was, it was God's portion. In Eden, they ate the tree. And ever since, it caused separation between man and God. The next thing that happens is that Cain kills Abel. There's death. It's a horrendous situation we find ourselves in because they ate God's portion. That right there is where setting something aside for God started, right in the garden. And so God brings in this idea of the tithe. And do you know what the tithe is? God's portion. It's the king's portion. You see, we all often in, in church life, we wrestle with the tithe because we use language like this. Oh, it's Old Testament. Anyone have heard that one? Maybe you feel like that. Oh, it's Old Testament. It's the law. And Jesus set us free from the law. So the tithe's the law, and I'm free from the law, so I'm free from the tithe. You heard that language? Maybe you feel like that. Can I unpack the tithe just in two minutes for you? The tithe first, we first see the tithe of Abraham and Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, is a representation of Jesus. And he meets Abraham, and Abraham's been to war, and he's won. And in meeting Melchizedek, who's the king, he meets him, his heart is moved, and says, I'm going to give you a tenth of my spoils, because it's the king's portion. Abraham lived 500 years before the law was written, before Moses ever wrote it. So in this moment where the tithe first exists, there was no law. It was just a heart response. You're the king. I want to honor you with the king's portion. The king's portion's a tenth. Abraham's the father of our faith. And therefore, God did something in him which demonstrated something to us. Later on, are you all familiar with um, Jacob's ladder? You know, Jacob dreams and he sees the ladder. And he calls the place Bethel. Bethel. Beth meaning house. El meaning God. So Bethel, the house of God. And so he has this dream, and, he, and he, he sees heaven open, and angels coming up and down. He says, wow, God was in this place. Heaven is touching earth. This is the house of God. I will name it Bethel. Right at the end of that passage, he says this. And you're gonna, if you want to ever look it up, it's in Genesis 28 and verse 22. This is Jacob. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So here's Jacob, several hundred years before Moses ever wrote the law, again saying, God's portion is a tenth. So here's the tithe being unpacked right in front of our eyes. Moses turns up and starts writing the law. The, the, the tithe has always been about the heart. My heart is moved to give you your portion. Bethel, God is in this place. I'm going to give a tenth to the house of the Lord. 
Then Moses comes in. He looks at the people's hearts and sees they've got hard hearts. Moses knows that God deserves his portion. He also knows that hard-hearted men aren't going to give God his portion, so he makes it a rule. The best thing we need to do, everyone, is to follow the law. The right thing to do is give God a tenth. I'm going to make it the law. Do you see? So it didn't start in the law. It ended up in the law because of hard-hearted men. Do you see? And so they gave, that was the law. We give a tenth, we give a tenth, we give a tenth. Now, the purpose of the tithe, according to Malachi 3.10, is that there will be food on my table. When we say that, we don't literally mean bacon and eggs, sausages and chips. It, it's, it's that the house could function. So when someone walks in as a visitor tomorrow, there is food on the table. They are going to get fed spiritually. The purpose of the tithe is that the church can function. The tithe is God's portion. When we first ate God's portion in the Garden of Eden, it was a nightmare. We all said, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not going to ask for a hand's rise, but how many of us genuinely tithe? And the reality is, if you don't, you are eating God's portion. That's the reality of it. We can flower it up. We can do what you like with it. But that's the truth. Rich, are you hearing me? You can you could still say, Oh, baby, it's still Old Testament. Well, what did Jesus say? Is Jesus New Testament or Old Testament? I think he's New Testament. He was asked, Should we give taxes to Caesar? And his response was this Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. At that point, he couldn't have been referring to anything else other than the tithe because that's the only teaching they've ever had. Everyone would have known what he meant in that time when he said, give to God what is God's. So Jesus himself is saying, yes, pay your taxes. It's the right thing to do. But yes, give God his portion. It's the right thing to do. New Testament. Later on in Luke 16, they're, they're wrestling about finances. And Jesus says this, how can I give you true riches if you can't handle what belongs to another man. And when he's talking about what belongs to another man, he's talking about God. If you can't handle the tithe which belongs to God, how can I give you true riches? So here we are saying, God, bless my finances. God, heal my son. God, grow your church. And he's like, you can't even handle the money. How can you handle the rest of it? Can you see the picture that goes on here? And if you're still not convinced and still think it's Old Testament, let's go to Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, definitely New Testament. We all say, I like the early church. Do you know what the early church did? Gave 100%. All of it. They laid at the Apostles' feet and said, do what you think is right. And do you know what it says? No one went short. The reality in our church life is everyone's going short because we'll serve the church with our time, we'll pray for everyone, but don't touch me money. That's the way the church is right now. And I think I can say that to you guys because you're in church on a Saturday night. But it needs to become our culture that we say, God, thank you for blessing me. It really bothers me, if I'm going to be honest. It really bothers me that someone's on their knees going, God, I've got a, I want that promotion. And the reason you want that promotion isn't because you want to do more work. It's because you want more money. Oh, I want that promotion. God, give me that promotion. You get the promotion. You get a 10 grand rise. And then you won't tithe, even though you pray to the God who got you the promotion. It's like, oh, come on. We want God to bless us at this end, but we don't want to honor him at this end. And it needs to shift. Because this is family, 
and there needs to be food on the table, and it costs money. And God's way of doing that is to instigate the tithe, which is his portion. Is there an amen in the house? I can say this to you guys, but my hope is in any culture that culture filters. That when you hear people talking about it, you don't need me to come and orate that. You should be able to orate that. When someone says to you, oh, I'm so sick. Do you know one of the first questions I ask in a counselling session when people come to me as sick? How are you handling the tithe? Because how can God give you true riches, health, if you can't even handle what's his? There's a link in all of it. We can't just say, separate, that's that, and that's that. Anyway, I'll stop there, but I hope you're with me. The family pays. Whether you're a tither here, a giver here or not, someone's paying. Someone paid for this. Someone's paying for that. Someone's paying for the coffee you had today. Someone's paying. And if you're not paying, you're a guest. Bless you. Be a guest. We love you. But the family pays. Okay? Okay, so, so let's get away from the, the money side of stuff. Can I get... Mike and Helen, can you come and pick up that pot of water I've just put there? Which you're probably wondering what that was all about. Just, just behind there, yeah. Actually, it wasn't drips, was it? It was me spilling my own water. Yeah. Yeah, can you hold that somehow together? I just want to sh- just do a little pictorial thing, because I think sometimes we remember pictorial things. <laughs> this, this rather lo- nice pot of water represents... <laughs> Who's going to drop it first? This pool of water represents the vision of this church. There was a day when Mike and Helen got called here. They came and visited this place. God put something in their heart to see an amazing church in this location. It involves seeing children blessed and fed. It it involves seeing people who have nothing with something. It involves people meeting Jesus. It involves people who have met Jesus growing on a discipleship journey and and finding their fit in church life and and pressing into their gifts. It involves mission. The vision of the church, you know. Mike could probably orate that better than me. But that is the vision. They are carrying the vision all by themselves. But then Joe turns up. And Joe's quite epic. He got called all the way here for, from America because clearly Engl- Wales is better. England. Wales, Wales is better. <laughs> lost me crowd. Lost me crowd. <laughs> jo- jo- <laughs> yeah. Joe comes along. He visits the church as a guest for a while, but then he no longer becomes a guest and says, Mike, this is what I can offer you. I will come and I will lead the services for you. And he takes a dip out of the vision. He says, I'll carry that because I'm called here. And I want to carry something. We love Joe. Round of applause for Joe. (laughs) Then Sarah turns up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sarah comes comes along and she says, says, I've been to the church and, and, and I love it here. Whatever it is you need me to do, I'll do it. And Mike says, do you know what we could really do with a worship leader right now? Could you do that? <laughs> this isn't a prophetic moment. <laughs> that's, about, that's about 90%. <laughs> oh, yeah. So she dips in. She dips in. And that's great. And then, and then Rich comes up. Then he, Rich comes up the front. Round of applause for Rich. And I'm making this up as I go along. But Rich says, oh, I've got a massive heart for youth. And Mike says, great, because we've got a vision for youth. And so I'm, I'm, pre- I'm prepared to take that off you. Now, can you see what's happened here? The vision is still as big, but Helen and Mike are carrying less. Who knows when Mike and Helen are carrying less, you will get a better Mike and Helen. 
because they're not bogged down with the things they care so much about, but are trying to do it all and can't. But it means you're like, I will carry some weight. And that also means you have to take care of it. Because if that's quite full and you start giving it one of them, you're going you're to drop it. Every drop of water in that is the vision of this church. So if you come to the end of yourself and say, do you know what, I've served in this area of church for three years, I can't give it anymore. Don't throw it away, because that's important to God. You know, those young people that you were carrying, don't throw them away, they're important to God. What you need to do, Joe, as you've clearly backslidden, is you, <laughs> is you need to go and pour it back in the pot. <laughs> so the vision is still being carried, and Mike and Helen will carry whatever they have to carry. So if you're going to put it down, give it back to them. But what you're doing is putting more on them. And here we are saying, we love each other. Mike and Helen, you're so amazing. But can you carry that? And can you carry that? And can you carry that? Whereas the family all carries something. And therefore, you're growing because you're carrying weight and responsibility. And who knows responsibility causes you to grow. And these are growing because they're not carrying the weight that you should be carrying. It's a shame there's not more people here to hear this. If you're listening to this right now, you should have been here. Sacked. You can put it down. <laughs> Round of applause for your leaders. Well held. You can put those down wherever they are. Can you see, can you see that? I hope that helps you to see something. And all of these things I'm pointing at here form culture. What we do in our church is we carry the weight together. If we see ourselves as part of this church and family, there is an expectation that you contribute somewhere. Now, for you, that might mean once a month you serve in children, and that's where you're at. And do you know what? That's fine, as long as you're carrying something. It might mean that once a month you serve in the greeting team. It might mean that once a month you come in on a Wednesday night and you clean the coffee area. I don't know what it might look like, but it'd be something. But as you grow, you might say, well, I can do twice a month. And I could serve in two different areas. And you start carrying more weight because, do you know what? As you get stronger, you can carry more. And we're always supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus. We should be getting stronger people. Are you with me? Honor, final point I want to make. Honor is an absolute key in any church culture, I believe. Heaven functions in a culture of honor. And here's how I know that. When you look at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and their relationship with each other, there is honor all around it. You see, here's Jesus on earth. Epic. And they speak to him and he says, I won't do anything unless I see my father doing it. He's pointing to his father, giving weight to his father. He honors his father. But then you see his father in the Mount and the Transfiguration, he lifts up Jesus and says, This is my son. Listen to him. And so you've got the Father pointing to Jesus. You've got Jesus pointing to the Father. It's about him. And you've got the Father pointing to Jesus. No, it's about him. And then at the end of it all, Jesus says, it's better that I go away because then I'll send the Holy Spirit. And he's better than me. You want the Holy Spirit. And so you've got Jesus pointing to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and is able to fill all of us. And what does he do? Leads us to Jesus. And so heaven functions in honor. It's not about any one of them. It's about all of them pointing to each other all at the same time. And so in church life, no one of you is more important than the other. It's actually about each of you lifting the other one up. And when we can all function like that, honor flows. And it's important. 
Uh, one of the Hebrew biblical words for honor is kabed, K-A-B-E-D, kabed. And it means weight. So where it says those who honor God, God will honor, what it's really saying is those who put weight behind what's important to God, God will put his weight behind what's important to you. It's to do with weight. So therefore, if you make church important, for instance, we know that's important to God. You put your weight behind that. Then when you go to the Father with an issue in your family, you've got equity with him. I will put my weight behind you. Do you see? That's how honor functions. I, I love it in, in Ephesians 5 and 6. You know, those, those marrieds amongst you. It's not so popular today. We've had nine weddings in our church this year. And it is not so popular in the vows to say, wives, I will submit to my husband. People don't say that anymore. But it's in the word. Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands. And all the women in the church go, do you even know my husband? Would you submit to that? But it's an honor thing. Because the next verse says this. Husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. He laid his life down to lift it up. So how easy is it for a wife to submit to a husband who's prepared to lay down his dreams, lay down his hopes, lay down whatever it takes in order to lift hers up? That's honor. And then the wife, in response to that, says, wow, you do that for Oh, don't do that for me. What do you want? Because I want to submit to you. What's your dream? And suddenly, it's not one pushing the other one down or fighting. They're actually both trying to push the other one up. That's honor. And so when you look at that, the same in, in, in Ephesians 6, the next one, it talks about children. It says, children, honor your parents. And it's the first promise that goes, it's the first command that goes with a promise, that life will go well for you. But then it says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. It's a two-way street. Honor's always a two-way street. I think that one of the reasons we wrestle with honor is because it's felt like a one-way street. Leaders squashing down followers. Well, you do what you're told. You've got to honor me because I'm the leader. No, honor's always been a two-way street. Honor should be about a leader finding a platform for you to function in. And you thinking, wow, that leader's awesome. How can I honor that leader? Well, through respect, through getting my weight behind him or her, through speaking them up, through praying for them, by going to them and saying, where can I help? And then you are honoring your leader so they flourish, and your leader is honoring you so you flourish. Church functions in honor, but somewhere in it all, we've missed it. Or we haven't quite got it right. There's been a lack of respect, and we're very quick to point the finger at someone who didn't do it right or said something wrong, rather than, no, 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 we're family, we stick together. How can I help them and lift them up again? Because they've made a mistake there. Well, Mike makes a terrible decision. I know it's never, ever happened. But Mike makes a terrible decision. Rather than go, oh, flipping Mike, you're a rubbish leader. No, 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 no. We love Mike. How can we get around Mike to lift him up so that our leader is functioning fully? Because when you've got a fully functioning leader, everyone does well. But the thing is, we're so quick to point the finger, and yet we look at Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're like, no, it's about him. No, it's about him. No, it's about him. Whereas in the church, it's nearly always about me. Do you see? But that's the world's attitude, and it can never be the church's attitude. We have to shift it. Are you with me, church? What else did I want to say? Yeah, I think ultimately, in all of this, if you put all the things I've put there together, what we're trying to create here 
is an atmosphere of love. You know, when, when you look at people, we're praying for this area. You know, if, if 100 people walked in on Sunday, how chuffed would we be? And I believe those days will come. But they will come when God can trust you with it. Because each one of those people, God loves. Each one of those people, Jesus actually died for them. And how can he bring them into a church that is dysfunctional? So that's why it's so important that we work on honor, that we work on how are we going to honor God with our finances? How am I going to serve the house? Where's the respect going to go? What weight am I prepared to carry? Because it creates an environment where we actually care about each other. And then someone comes in and goes, this is what I've been looking for. You actually like each other. There's enough bad stuff in the world. You've only got to go to work and have your wrist slapped by three people and someone gossip and stab you behind your back and go home to, to your family who are upset with you. And it's just like, ah. And then come to church and go, these people love me. We're representing Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the background is, what the history is, what's going on in their world. We love people. Jesus simplified it, didn't he? Love God, love people. We make it so difficult. So could we look at this house as our home, this group of people as our family, and really get our weight behind what God is clearly doing here. What I love in my visits, and I'm a semi-regular, quite a regular visitor here, it's always moving forward. You know, this room in particular, it's always changing. Every time I come, it's like, whoa, it's brilliant. You guys are doing something. I love hearing Mike, you know, we had a new visitor this week and someone gave their heart to Jesus. And yes, there's been the negatives. People have left. There's been squabbles and difficulties, but it's part of family life. And if we're called here, we pull together as a family. I believe, personally, you're in the strongest position you've ever been in. You know, I've, I've known you guys, I don't know how long I've been coming here, four or five years, I think it is quite some time. But I believe this is the strongest point you've ever been in the history of this church. And if we could nail some of the stuff I've been talking about tonight in terms of our culture... What could it look like this time next year? How many people could know Jesus because you said, I'm going to take that stuff seriously. I'm going to own it. I, I, I want to see my friends saved. I want to see my mum saved. I want to see my friend healed. I want to see the miraculous flowing in our church. Well, Bethel, which is probably the most famous church in terms of miracles all around the world, they say the only reason miracles flow is because they give honor the place. They wrote a book called A Culture of Honor. I made all of our readers, uh, leaders read it, and it's just shifted something. I recommend it to you. It's called A Culture of Honor. Uh, forget the guy's name who wrote it, but he's one of the leadership team. At, um, what's his name? Danny Silk. It was Danny Silk. It's such a great book. I think we've got 10 or so copies at church if you ever wanted to borrow it. But it just unpacks honor in a, in a greater depth and in practical terms. If we could nail this stuff in church, Lots of other things just fall into place. And what a great place to come in. Oh, I want to, I think we're quite good at our church, and I think you're quite good at it here. I want people to be coming on Sunday excited to be here because they're going to meet their friend and they're going to get into a place where we worship Jesus together. You can worship Jesus at home, of course you can. There's nothing like doing it together. Something just goes off, doesn't it? Now, I have great moments, a bit of carpet time at home, and it's great. Sarah never sees that. But when we do it together, just something goes off on the inside of people. God speaks. And, and when we get in that place together, imagine that experience when we've nailed honor, when we've nailed carrying weight, when we've nailed handling our finances, when we've nailed how we're going to speak about each other. Imagine what church could really look like when we get that kind of culture right. We're not there yet, but I think we're closer than we've ever been. 
and I wonder what it could look like in a month if you took it seriously. And I wonder what it could look like next year, 2020. Could 2020 be the year where this church just goes shooting forward because we took this seriously? And I believe you can, and I hope you will. Is that okay?